Hello, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you, Carla, for the introduction. Uh, what an amazing story by Linda, wherever you are. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, it's a beautiful thing to hear all that God is doing within our church this morning. Before I begin, let's pray together. Father God, we just pray that you would open our eyes, that you'd open our hearts as we listen this morning, and we pray that we'd just be able to tune in to the voice of God in this place today. Amen. There's a classic book by John Steinbeck called The East of Eden. There's a character in this story called Lisa Hamilton. She serves as the queen of her family. She is an advocate for biblical morality. She reads the scriptures daily as a guide for her life. Steinbeck describes her use of the Bible as a total intellectual association. In that one book, she had her history, her poetry, her knowledge of people and of things, her ethics, her morals, and her salvation. She never studied the Bible or inspected it. She just kind of read it. And finally, she came to a, a point where she knew it so well, she went right on reading it without listening. The final line is fairly haunting. It says, she went right on reading it without listening. So when we hear today's scripture, the story of the Good Samaritan, it's easy to move on quickly and to say, oh, yeah, well, I know that one. That's about a man who helps another man. And that's what I'm supposed to do too. But this morning, let's not read it without listening. Let's sit in this message and recognize the big and the small ways, individually and as a body of Christ, we can respond to this message. There is much more to this story than just a man helping another man. There's a critique of some religious leaders, and Jesus explores his expectations for God's people and what does God expect of us. He tears down this notion of status and he invites us, the hearers, to become part of God's mission in the world today. I know that you're probably expecting this classic do more, be more, help more, feed our unhoused neighbours, set up a non-profit and change the world kind of sermon, another thing on your to-do list. But this morning, please don't turn off. This story will be familiar, but let's look through it together with a fresh set of eyes. And I think often the biblical texts that are the most familiar to us are the very ones whose messages have been muted rather than released. So we're going to read together this morning. I'm going to invite Anjali up to read for us. All right. Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man who was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Amazing. Thank you for reading that, Angeli. So if you were here last week, we, were, we have started a series on what is discipleship. Last week, Ben spoke about uh, Jesus sending out the 72, which is in the earlier part of Luke 10. Last week, his answer to what is discipleship was to be a messenger. And this week, I want to unpack what it means to be a neighbor. I think it's helpful to unpack the context of this story. I think it's helpful for us to see the lens through the, see this story through the lens of first century Israel. So let's set the scene. So we're at the temple, a legal, very smart legal man walks up to Jesus and is like, how can I get eternal life? Jesus does the classic, well, what do you think? And the man responds with this great legal answer, which we get from Leviticus. It'll be up on the screens. Leviticus 19 verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So we find in Leviticus, God is giving Moses some rules which form into the law. The man who is questioning Jesus is an expert in the law, and I am not, so we're not going to go too deep here. But the question is fairly key. The question of who... um, is who is my neighbor. So Jesus tells this story of the the good Samaritan, and I think there are some smaller contextual cues which are very helpful for us. So where does this story take place? The road that they are walking on is fairly dangerous road. It goes from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's roughly 17 miles long. It has quite large elevation. I think there's a photo coming up. It looks like this, and as you can see, it's not a familiar LA hike. It doesn't have beautiful views of downtown. It doesn't have amazing views of the Hollywood sign, but it would have been a fairly familiar road to travelers at the time. But this road was dangerous. As we can see, Jesus tells us about a gentleman who's attacked. He's at the side of the road. He is not well. And then enters the priest in this story. The priest would have lived by certain standards. He would have run the temple. He would have been a rule follower. He would have helped to have lived out the law, the Jewish law of that time. He would have helped to sacrifice animals. But he would have had the, ho- the early part of the Old Testament. He would have known how to be compassionate. He would have had that kind of knowledge. We don't know why the priest didn't stop. We, maybe he didn't want some of the hassle of a purification ritual he might have to have gone through if he had touched the bleeding man. And then with him is a Levite. A Levite is someone who hangs around the temple. This gentleman would have been a man from the tribe of Levi, who is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. They'd have been the highest in society. But what we know is that these are people who have dedicated their lives to a God of compassion, a God of kindness, a God of love, yet still they walk on by. 
They didn't stop. They didn't show compassion. So the Samaritan is the key person in this story. He is a low, hated member of society. He is the definition of the other. This is arguably the most important part of this story. The Samaritans were viewed as terrible human beings. Society would have cast them out. There were all manner of laws surrounding the Samaritan and Jewish interaction. The Jews chose to cross the River Jordan over walking through Samaria. He might have been one of the most unexpected people in culture at that moment to help the man. The people in the temple hearing this story would have been flabbergasted, confused. How is this even possible? How could a Samaritan man, a person we hate so much, do the unthinkable and help someone else? It's a whole thing. Who might this be in our society? Are there our unhoused neighbors? Are there people who are underprivileged? Maybe there are minorities. Maybe there are people that you'd never expect this from. And the man at the side of the road. So what do we know about this man? We don't really know that much about him. The Bible doesn't really share too much. We can assume that he was Jewish, that he was walking from the road to Jerusalem to Jericho, but we don't know too much about him. But what we do know is that he needed someone to help him. He needed someone to take him off the side of the road and to help him to get to wherever he needed to go. Someone to heal him, someone to bind up his wounds. And the key, another part of this story is that he doesn't have anything to give back, right? They even took the clothes from his back. So to summarize these characters, all the people in this story had priorities that were important. But only one character in this story had priorities that enabled him to address this need. The Samaritan is the only character who really shows up. We can see that he has a willingness of time and space to have compassion on someone. And at the end of the the talk, we see Jesus saying, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Jesus was telling this in the temple court 2,000 years ago, but I think this message still stands firm for us today, that we are supposed to go out, we are supposed to go and have compassion on people. I think people often read this story as a story of works that lead us to heaven. This isn't a story of I must do more good and then I'll be enough. This is a story of us responding to God's grace in our lives and moving us into action and helping us to respond to his grace and knowing that Jesus is enough. And like many of you, as you read this story, you're probably sat there going, well, why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? Why don't I just do this all the time? I often ask myself when I read this, why don't I do more? Why don't I do more of what God asks of me? Why every time when I see my neighbor, I don't stop and help? And that's the question I wanted to kind of unpack a little bit more today. I think some of those answers are found in, I'm too busy. I'm too distracted. I want to focus on the people that I like. I want to create the life that I dreamed of, and it doesn't look like helping you. However, I think this is part of the why is this so hard answer, but I think that there might be some deeper, more emotional-based things happening here. 
And I wanted to do, do my very best to try out and sum up some of those emotional feelings. And I don't know whether any of you will find this familiar, but sometimes I see someone I should help, and I know the Bible tells me that I should help this person, yet still I do nothing. And I can avoid this situation like the priest or the Levite, I can just drive on by. Sometimes I can rationalize it and say, ah, it's all good. Someone else will fix that. The government will fix it. Someone else, this other person, something, something. But it's not my problem. And sometimes we can just have those feelings or thoughts of, I suck, I'm not good enough to do this. I can't help this person, I'm totally overwhelmed. And of course, psychology has a name for this feeling. It's called cognitive dissonance. This is the state of having an inconsistent thought, beliefs, or attitude, especially relating to behavioral decisions and attitude change. And I think we all have that feeling sometimes where we have this feeling on one side, I know I should be doing this, but actually my actions show me that I'm doing this. So inside, I feel a certain way. I might feel discomfort. I might feel like, oh man, I'm just not good enough, so I'm not going to bother. And I think sometimes we might feel a sense of shame. Sometimes we might write stories to ourselves. Festinger, who is the guy who wrote the theory of cognitive dissonance, argued that some people would inevitably re resolve this feeling inside of them by blindly believing whatever they wanted to believe. I believe that someone else is going to fix this. I believe that someone else is going to help this man who is lying dead at the side of the road. I believe that someone else is going to sort that. And often, we will use just whatever we want to feel better, right? That's part of who we are. But I want us to consider how we can invite God into this story. Hey, God, I'm feeling this thing. I'm feeling discomfort. Maybe I need to do something about it. And maybe this emotional response needs to be felt. Not so that we can instantly feel better, so we're suddenly gratified, but so that we can stop and think, hey, God, what might I need from you today? And in the story, we can see that the Samaritan is present enough to see what is going on around him. He is present enough to be looking up and to be willing to be interrupted in this story. And this brings us on to the part about interruptions. Linda's story is so beautiful and it starts with a yes. It starts with a willingness to be interrupted. And we can see that across the Bible that Jesus is also willing to be interrupted by the needs of those around him. And also the Samaritan in this story is willing to interrupt his schedule to meet the man's material, his physical and his economic need. His mission of walking from Jerusalem to Jericho was not more important than the person at the side of the road. So are we ready to be interrupted? I was preparing this talk and I was like, hey God, I need a story of interruption. And many of you that know me will know I'm a fairly chatty guy. My roommates will often say, you know you don't have to talk. I uh, really enjoy filling up empty space and making some sort of noise. So therefore my natural habitat is often a coffee shop with friends. I was having coffee with a friend called Mark and we were getting to the crux of his life story. Mark spots his friend entering the coffee shop on the other side of the room. 
He's wearing a full red Lycra suit straight off his bike ride. His friend grabs a coffee, comes and sits with us. For 40 minutes, this gentleman sits, shared us his life story, what he's doing, what he's up to. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had a great conversation. I was enjoying my conversation with Mark, and I was like, oh, I really hope that we can finish this off. But actually, this gentleman came in, he interrupted. And then Mark said something to me. He said, I hope you'd be the guy who was willing to be interrupted. And Mark said to me, he said, I know that we're here to share some of my life story, but I'm really thankful that you were able to listen to this man, this man that I see almost every day. And I feel fairly challenged that there's a world out there that longs to live in the hope and victory that I have in Jesus. But I also want to be willing to listen to people as I think that's have power, uh, that has power. Many people in this room have spent many hours and hours listening to me tell stories, helping me to understand the world in which I live in. And I'm really grateful for that. I'm really grateful for so much time and space that people have made for me. And sometimes I feel like it's important to give that back. But that's my easy spot. Like I said earlier, I love talking. It helps me to sit there and to chat, but I'm not actually that good at living in interruptions. I enjoy bouncing from meeting to meeting to meeting, pretending I'm too busy to have time for anyone else, and I need to get this whole to-do list done. This is probably one of the few examples in a story where I was actually able to sit there and to just be present. So a question I wanted to ask today is, where are those areas in your life that you're willing to be interrupted? Am I building space in my life to be interrupted? And what things do I not want to be interrupted in? So how do we do this? How do we live within our own interruptions? I think there's two things that are helpful here. I think one of those things is living within margins. And I think one of those things is living within priorities, like what is actually important to us? Many of you will know I'm not a huge schedule guy. You'd probably describe me as vaguely organized. I enjoy making event timetables in military time, but I also am fairly good at living spontaneously. But the point that I want to make here is that we all need to live within some sort of margins. That space in our lives that we create, that calendar hour that we take off, that we leave time and space for God to remake us. And this isn't an excuse to do nothing. This isn't an excuse to sit there and be like, oh, well, God up at some point. I'll just do nothing. We can see in this story that the Samaritan is walking down the road. He isn't being lazy. He has his eyes open on what's going on around him. And it's a bit of an assumption, but it appears that he has time. Here is his neighbor in front of him. He has time to love someone. So he's probably living in some sort of margins to love someone who truly needs it. I found this quote to be very helpful. It's up on the screens. It says, the world would be a changed place if every Christian attended to the sorrows that are plain before him. Maybe if we are attending to those sorrows in front of us, maybe we'll see our neighbor. Are we open to hearing the voice of God when I need to be listening? 
Are we able to put our phones down and say, hey God, what's going on in my world? Am I able to listen to my partner, my school friend, my colleague? Am I willing to take time to interrupt to say, hey, can I pray for you? So once we've been interrupted, what do we do next? If we're willing to be interrupted, then what happens when we actually get interrupted? Just like this story in the Samaritan, you might need to have some sort of compassion. So how are we moved to a space of compassion? So I would encourage you to pray this prayer of God, who is my neighbor? And let's all be surprised by that answer. And as we journey this week and through the rest of this talk into this question, alongside this, we might need to be thinking to ourselves, who do I need to have more compassion for? I recognize it's Thanksgiving coming up and some of you will be very excited to eat lots of turkey and to have a fun time. But there'll be some of you who will be dreading some of the people around that table. Maybe they're family, maybe they're friends. Maybe they're just people who we struggle to have compassion on. But I would encourage us all this Thanksgiving to be like, hey God, how can I have more compassion on people? How can I make time to listen? How can I make time to be present with others? I have an older brother, his name is Andrew. Here he is, he's smiling away next to a steam train, pretty fun. Um, You'll notice something different about him. He has Williams syndrome. This is similar to Down syndrome. There's a lot of very technical medical words I could use to describe his condition, but I don't understand those. So I'm not gonna share them with you this morning. But what I do know is that Andrew is the friendliest person you will ever meet. He makes people valued, sorry, he makes people feel valued, and he's excited to see you. He's excited to meet you. He has so many brilliant qualities. He once spotted someone in a mall. He ran up to this person. He shook their hand. He remembered their name. My mom was stood there aghast. She had no idea who this person was. (laughs) This guy had laid our patio tile three years earlier, and Andrew had remembered his name and his face but we had not. I think it's easy to put someone like Andrew in a box. It's easy to say he's never going to be able to do certain things. Therefore, he is an X. He's not Y. I choose to never talk about him being disabled. I choose to see him through a lens of compassion. He will do a great many things that you or I may struggle with. And I'm not going to say it was always easy to have compassion on Andrew. We were brothers. We would fight growing up. I didn't always know what to do. I always didn't know how to relate to him. How can you help certain things? How can you interact with him well? But as I've gotten older, I've recognized that actually all he really wants from me is just to be present, to ask him some questions, to have compassion So the lens in which I see him matters, and also the response matters too. I can see him as a problem. I can see him as a blessing. And sometimes it's easy for us all to be like, well, that person chose that. They decided to live this certain way. They made some bad choices, and now that they are paying for it. But I think Jesus in this story is inviting all of us to have more compassion towards our neighbor. 
And we can also choose to see people through the eyes of God, or we can choose to see people through the eyes of politics or of families or of negative stereotypes. These are all choices. So who are the people we need to ask God for compassion for? And that's hard, right? That person upset me. They cut me off. They made me mad. So how do we do this well? And I think a part of this is how we receive love and recognizing that we need to receive the love of God. And the only way we can do this is by recognizing we need to receive love first. We follow a God who is compassionate, who we need to receive love from to also give out. If all you take away from this story today is I need to learn to be loved so I can give love out, then that is enough. It's taken me a long time to fully realize, and I don't even think I'm there yet, to try and understand that God loves me and attempt to live that out in my own life. I think it's positive for all of us that we can just move in that direction towards feeling loved. My older brother knows how to be loved. He knows how to love others in his own way. He's never going to buy me a Ferrari. He's never going to buy me a lavish gift. But he will tell me he loves me. He will tell me he misses me. And he will ask me when I'm coming home. And we need to be filled with overflow of compassion to go out and to administer that to the world. There's a line in 1 John 4 verse 21 that says, and this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So it's key to realizing that we can love our brothers and we can love our sisters and those around us. But sometimes we might find ourselves as the person in the ditch. We can feel beaten up. We can feel like life has taken everything from us. And therefore, we need the compassion of others to get us out of that place. And we can be grateful and we can be inspired that God is doing amazing things, just like Linda was sharing earlier. But we might also need the power of community to move us out of that ditch and into a life with him. The hope that we have been seen and therefore we we may see others. Can you think of a moment in your life where someone helped you out? Where they lent you money? where they healed your wounds physically or emotionally. Henry Nouwen, the Catholic priest, states that true community is the place where the individual we least like lives next door. Who's the person in your world who you wouldn't want to live next door to? We might need people in our lives to help decipher who our neighbor may be. We need to be involved within community so we can support others. And sometimes it can be very hard to see need. Sometimes it can also be very straightforward too. And part of our feeling of being at the side of the road may be that we need to have vulnerability so we can help others too. And part of us all living in community to support one another is recognizing that it costs something. It costs us time, it costs us effort. When I first moved to LA, we, I was an intern at our church in Santa Monica. The person who was leading the internship program stood up at the front of church, or not in church, sorry, in this room we were in, <laughs> there was only about 10 of us. And we were stood in this room and she stood up 
And she said, what I'd really love from us all over the next year is to show up to events. And I stood there, I was like, that feels like a really low expectation. And she began to explain that the culture of that in that moment was that people would say yes to three events in one night, and then they'd show up to one of them and disappoint two people, and that was okay. But she encouraged us that our yeses should be our yeses and our noes should be our noes, and that we should be committing to people, that we should commit to coming up to stuff, that we should commit to showing up to things. And just like in this story, the Good Samaritan shows up. It's important for us all to recognize that we have to help people to be loved into community. And what could LA be like if everyone's Christian friends just showed up? When they said they were going to show up to something, they actually came. And this transformed community allows us to do things. It allows us to change things. It allows us to remake things, to transform society. In the fourth century, the Roman emperor Julian was concerned about the spread of Christianity in his empire. He was determined to revive the traditional Roman pagan religions. In expressing his frustration about his seeming inability to stop the growth of the Christian faith, he wrote, nothing has contributed to the progress of the superstition of those Christians as their charity to strangers. The impious, in brackets, disrespectful, Galileans provide not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. I think this story highlights the power of a transformed community living out this story of the Good Samaritan through their actions, through their words, through their deeds, through helping people and recognizing that we are called to be the Samaritan in this story and not the priest. If we can commit, if we can invest, if we can show up, then the above can happen. That God is at work in all of us and when we come together, we can make a difference. And I think also part of this is we might be surprised about living life in community Just like in this story, a very surprising Samaritan shows up just at the moment the gentleman at the side of the road needed him. And maybe that might be the same in our lives. Maybe we might be surprised at who comes along to help us and at those people who we can help too. And the Samaritan plays his part in this story, but there's another gentleman who also plays his part, and that's the innkeeper. The innkeeper plays his part by allowing this guy in, by allowing him to be healed, bringing him into a community of care and allowing someone in who desperately needs it. So as we draw to a close, this Thanksgiving, can we be reminded? Can we be reminded of this passage Can we not just read it? Can we listen to it too? And can we allow God to show us maybe where our neighbors are in our lives? Can we be interrupted? Can we show compassion? Can we step into the story of God through community? And maybe you're finding some of these things hard. Maybe you find compassion really difficult. Maybe you find living a life of interruption because you're so busy and you can't live within your own margins. And this morning, I wanted to take some time to respond. We wanted to do a couple of things this morning. We want to invite God to fill you for the first time 
feel like I've never received this compassion of God before and you want to commit your life to Jesus this morning, we would love to invite you to do that. But I also recognize that many of us in the room may be feeling compassion fatigue. You might be like, oh man, I just give it all out every day to my family, to my friends, for my job. And we want to invite you to be filled again, to be renewed again by a compassionate, loving father who cares deeply for us. So how are we going to do this? So the, the band are going to come up. They're going to play a song over us. And as we sit down and we respond, I, I want to invite you, if you want to be filled this morning, to hold out your hands like you're receiving a present. I would invite you to shut your eyes and reflect on some of these questions that I asked today of who is my neighbor? Who in my life do I need to have more compassion for? And maybe let's be surprised by that answer that we get from God this morning. So let's pray together. So we just ask this morning, Father, come Holy Spirit. We thank you that you're at work in this place this morning. We thank you that you're moving with compassion and grace. And we pray that all of us would be able to go out from this place with a heart of compassion for those in our community in our city, in our worlds, those that you put in front of us. We pray you'd allow us to be interrupted to do the work of your kingdom and the work of you, our heavenly father. So come Holy Spirit, we invite you this morning. Amen.